Today's Bible reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there were no guest rooms available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be with all people. Today in the city of David, a saviour was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favours. When the angels have left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. All who heard were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Well, friends, welcome to our um, service uh, for as we reflect on God's word this morning. Uh, and we do this every time we gather together as God's people. And it's especially um, important for us to do this this morning as we reflect on this miracle baby who was born in Bethlehem all those years ago. But I think as we do that, I think it's important for us to come and reflect on what our life looks like. You know, where, where are we at? Because uh, we only really are now starting to understand what life is going to be like, you know, post-COVID. Most of us were very happily going along in 2019, thinking life was hunky-dory. And um, I remember in sort of the, the pastors' forums at the time, uh, people talk about, okay, what's, you know, what's your plan for the next year? And many, many uh, puns were made about having 2020 vision, you know, seeing clearly about what was to come. Uh, and of course, all of that went out the window pretty quickly. And it's important for us, I think, to realise that, you know, in many ways we are not in control of our lives. We, we, uh, we don't control the weather, uh, otherwise today would not look like this. Um, we don't control when, uh, when things like diseases are released. Uh, we don't necessarily control even the things we think we control in our lives. 
All of a sudden, we can find ourselves in a situation where uh, we live in a period of massive inflation, where the things that uh, were, you know, $2 now cost $2.50. And it all adds up, and all of a sudden, the promotion or the job increase we got last year doesn't really stretch that far anymore. At the same time, our interest rates are up significantly and everything is more expensive. And those financial decisions we made two or three years ago don't seem as wise today as perhaps they did back then. Maybe this year has been a year where your relationships have been hard. Maybe you know, family uh, relationships or friendships or your relationship with your spouse has deteriorated rather than improved and you're just not sure exactly how you might go about fixing that. Maybe this past year has been one of sorrow and pain where perhaps you have lost a loved one and this is the first Christmas that you'll be spending alone. Maybe some, uh, some other tragedy has befallen you or life is just difficult and on a day like today it, it can be tempting for us to just pretend that those things don't exist and just to come with sentimentality to worship the baby who was born in the stable uh, and to try and forget for a while uh, the difficulties of our life. But I'm not sure that that's the most helpful way to approach Christmas. I think especially at holiday times like this, we can, uh, I think it's right for us to wonder perhaps where God is in all of this. What is he doing? If this is a kind of silent night, which isn't filled with wonder like the song we sing, Silent Night, but is actually a night of difficulty and pain, we might wonder, where is the voice of God? And so this morning, I think if we're going to be honest and authentic with who we are and where life is at for us, as we come to think of the birth of Jesus, we need to do so uh, in, in a way that is helpful and the way that Scripture guides us to do that. And so this morning, as we reflect on this passage from uh, chapter 2 of Luke, uh, he actually gives us three ways in which we can helpfully think through our lives in this way. Now, the first thing that Luke actually teaches us here is that God arranges things just so. So God is in control. He is sovereign over even the difficult things in our lives. And I'm reflecting here on Luke chapter 2 uh, from verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. And this, is, this first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and pregnant. Now I wonder whether any of us have ever done something that has had far-reaching consequences that were very unintended where the end result of what ended up happening was so far removed from the, the decision you made or the thought that you, uh, that you had to begin with, that it perhaps surprises you or shocks you at how far things have gotten in, in a way out of control, where the unintended consequences of your actions totally changed everything about a situation. Uh, one famous example of this I can think of is, um, is when pen penicillin was discovered. 
Now, this was way back in 1928, uh, and there's a guy named Alexander Fleming, and he was working in a hospital in London, and he was looking for ways to combat bacterial infections. And so one day he returned to his lab after two-week vacation and found that some of the, the petri dishes that he'd been working on, um, uh, which had streptococcus bacteria in it, they were left out on the bench. And so these petri dishes had become contaminated with mould while he was away. Now, as he looked at these, he noticed that the bacteria was, uh, around the mould was all being destroyed and it formed this kind of clear zone around the mould um, that, uh, that was present where, where the bacteria died. He was so intrigued by this that he began to investigate further and he found that this particular mould, which, uh, which apparently is called Penicillium notatum, he realized that it was producing a substance which was killing the bacteria, right? And so he called it penicillin. And so as he conducted experiments, he found out that it actually killed a whole range of, of bacteria. And uh, the reason we have antibiotics today is actually because of that one event. Soon the mass production of penicillin was uh, initiated and it led through to all kinds of breakthroughs in medicine. It played a crucial role in treating infection. It saved thousands and thousands, probably millions of lives, uh, and it goes on even until today. And so his accidental discovery of penicillin, which came from his decision actually to go on holidays for two weeks, uh, had these far-reaching consequences. It went on to lead to groundbreaking scientific advancements and all kinds of really good stuff. And that's a similar sort of thing that's happening in our text, actually, this morning. Because in our text, there is another one of these events which had far-reaching consequences that the initiator of them could not have foreseen. In our text, we read that Caesar Augustus, uh, he was also known as Gaius Octavius, he was one of Rome's emperors, uh, he wanted to know how many people lived in this massive empire of his, so that, probably, he could tax them. So in Rome, if you weren't registered, you weren't taxed, and so he issues this decree, everyone should go and get registered. Now, Augustus was the very first Caesar to receive the title of emperor, so his power was immense. He, he, uh, he had the ability to issue a decree all the way in Rome, so that, which would be followed by people all the way out to Nazareth, this backwater town, which basically no one knew about, but even as far as that, the people would obey his decree uh, because he had so much power. He was so revered by his people that actually in, in a town called Halicarnassus there is an inscription of him as the saviour of the world. He, you know, this is a, a statue of Augustus, he is the saviour of the world. But what Augustus did not realise is that his command for people to be counted would actually result in the real saviour of the world being born all the way in Bethlehem. What Caesar did not realise is that he unleashed a chain of events that would turn the entire world upside down. And this decree from the Roman emperor of emperors would result in, birth, in the birth of Jesus, the king of kings, being born in Bethlehem. Now Luke in our passage here is very um, careful to point out Jesus' credentials. He wants us to understand who this Christ child is. Because not once, but twice, he makes sure that David gets a mention. Now, David was the greatest of Israel's kings. So he was the second king of Israel, and he's the one uh, that all the other kings uh, were measured against. 
So God himself called David a man after his own heart. David was this measuring rod against which all future kings would be measured precisely because he lived, for the most part, his life for God. And so the point uh, God, uh, and so at one point, God makes a promise to David and he tells him. He says that he, God, would ensure that one of David's descendants would sit and reign on the throne over Israel forever, that David's line would never end. And what Luke is doing here in this first couple of verses of chapter 2 is saying, look, here he is. This is the one. He is the fulfillment of that promise that God made to David all those years ago. Jesus is that ruler from the line of David. He is actually of the kingly royal line. He is the one who would rule on the throne of David forever. But not just over Israel, actually over the whole world. Additionally, as as Israel's story continues, there is this prophet named Micah. Now, God decrees through Micah, he says, that the saviour of the world should be born in Bethlehem, in the town of David. And so not only was the saviour to be from the line of David, which Jesus was, he had to be born in the town of David. And it was precisely this decree from Caesar Augustus that everyone should go to his hometown to be registered that caused Mary and Joseph to travel with the baby descendant of David, to Bethlehem, where he was born in, uh, in that town. God had used Caesar Augustus's own desire to tax his people to bring about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. I think that's remarkable. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to and learn from. Because it teaches us that God is in control even when an emperor has a desire to tax his people. Even when the most powerful man on the earth at the point, uh, and that point in time, wanted to use his power to increase his power. Still God is in control. He is the true power behind things. Even the difficult things of life, even the things that cause us strife and, and, and trouble, You see, it was no small or easy thing for an eight and a bit months pregnant Mary to travel about 150 kilometres by donkey and foot from where she lived to get to Bethlehem. They were not in the ideal situation for, you know, Joseph to leave his work and his house in order to be counted by Caesar. It was certainly not the safest medical situation for Mary to give birth in the dirt with the animals. And yet these very things were used by God to bring about the best gift the world had ever received, Jesus himself. And if you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, what this means for us is that we too can trust that God has all things in hand. In fact, he is in control. Nothing can happen to his people unless he allows it. The Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which is this document that kind of summarises our faith, it, it puts it this way. It says that everything comes to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. God is in control. He has arranged things just so, so that Jesus would come to be born in Bethlehem, from the line of David in the town of David. And we can trust that God is in control of our dark nights too, our silent nights as well. And so that's the first thing I think our passage teaches us to think about this morning. 
The second thing I think we learned this morning is that Jesus knew what it meant to walk in the dirt. So from verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her, that is Mary, to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now we all know this story. We are so familiar with this story, right? This is on the Christmas cards. It's it's kind of what the picture behind us here is all about. Uh, the wise men travelling to, to the kid lying in the manger in the dirt. Uh, one of our sort of favourite Christmas movies is Love Actually and there you learn that there were at least two lobsters, right, at the scene. Um, we know the story so well. We've, we've heard it a thousand times. But I think we should just pause for a moment and think of how scandalous it is for Jesus to have been born in this, in this place, in this stable, in this outhouse, in this place where the animals were kept. Because here in our story we have Caesar, presumably sitting in this place of power he had in Rome, issuing this decree with all the might and power he had uh, that right throughout his empire people should be counted. A man of so much power than perhaps any person, more power than perhaps any person ever had had until that point in time. And this event is one of the clearest examples of his power. You know, he issues a decree and it's willingly obeyed, even in places of no importance and no wealth like Nazareth. This was a poor town in the backwater of nowhere. And so on the one hand, we see, uh, you know, we see this person of immense power, this powerful man, if you like, the, the strongest man on earth at the time. And on the other, we have this birth of the one who made the whole world whose power far, far, far exceeded even that of Augustus, who could stand and, you know, with a word, unleash the full armies of heaven on earth if he wanted to. But here he is, born in a lowly stable. And we just sang about that, right? Like, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. He was Lord even at his birth. And it is scandalous to think that the king of the universe would be born in such humble circumstances. We need to wrestle with this kind of humiliation he chose to take upon himself. Because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is God's only begotten Son. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who created the universe. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the supreme ruler over all creation. And yet, here he is, right, wrapped up tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. That is not the welcome Jesus deserved. Rightly, he should have every person on earth gather around him on their knees, from king to peasant, falling at, their fe- at his feet to worship him. And yet this king decided, no, I'm going to give it all up because my people need me. He was born in a stable in the filth because he has come to clean up our filth. You see, we didn't actually need a king to come with power and might who would be born in a palace as a king of kings, you know, surrounded by attendants and helpers and nurses. Because that kind of king does not save ordinary people like you and I. Kings that are born in palaces are trained to deal with political problems. They grow up surrounding, surrounded by tutors who teach them about military tactics and diplomacy and so on. But we needed a king who would step into the dirt, 
with us to save us out of the dirt. We needed a king who would wade into the muddy waters of our lives. We needed a king who would humble himself and be born in the dust. Because that's the kind of work that this king actually came to do. You say, you know, when we say Jesus saves, we're not saying that he saved through military might, that he overthrew the powers of the day. He did not use his vast diplomatic skill to arrange peace treaties or those sorts of things. No, he came to be born in the same way in which he would ultimately save, by entering into the dirt to take it on himself so as to wash us clean. Because here's the problem, friends. You and I have been polluted by sin. In fact, we've covered ourselves over and over again with the dirt and the grime and the filth of all the kinds of depravity and pleasures that this world has to offer us. We have this problem and it separates us from the holiness and the purity and the righteousness that God requires of us. And eternally we are separated from God the Father because of our sin. That's just the way things are. And the reality is that unless someone will come to wash that dirt off you, unless someone will step in and deal with that, you and I will always be dirty. We will always be stained. Which is why we needed a king, a king of the universe who would come and be born in the dirt in the filth for his filthy people. But the wonderful thing about the story of Christmas is that no matter how dirty we might feel today, you know, no matter how far we might think we are from God, no matter how much we've danced around in the dirt of our sin, if we are willing to confess our sins to Jesus, then he will be our king too. He will meet us in that silent night wherever we are. He will meet us in the darkness and if we confess our sins, he will invite us to take him by the hand and walk us into the light. He will wash us clean through his blood. You know, this Jesus has already stepped down into darkness once before to be born in the dirt. And freely today he offers us again the option of stepping down into our dirt in order to welcome us into his kingdom. This king knows what it's like to walk in the dirt. He knows what it's like to walk alongside people who are walking in darkness. And again today he is inviting you to take his hand, to leave that old life behind, to confess your sins to him, to be washed clean by him, and to start walking in the light with him. So will you take his hand? Will you walk with him? Because here's the thing, that when Jesus breaks into your silent night, when you start walking with him, you will never be the same again. You will be transformed. And that's the third thing that we see this morning in our passage. We will be transformed. We've seen that God arranges things just so. He's in control. We saw a king who knows what it's like to live and walk and be born in the dirt for our sake. But the final thing we see is that when we trust him with our life, 
we will be radically transformed. I read from verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that, you, that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Saviour has been born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favours. And when the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. And then listen to this. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Friends, do you see what's happened here? Jesus broke into the life of these shepherds and they were radically transformed. They were never going to be the same again. Here are these shepherds. Shepherd job was a bad job. It was a lowly job. Uh, they were everyday people, people that weren't particularly special. They weren't the most talented. They weren't the most articulate. They weren't the richest. They weren't the most powerful. They were everyday people, just like you and I. But it is to them, these lowly shepherds, that God chose to reveal the news that the Messiah has been born. There they are, calmly watching over their flocks at night, and boom, you know, angels appear. The Messiah has been born. You'll find him wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, so they rush off. I mean, you would too, right? <laughs> if you're just out in the field, there's some angels that say, go look at this, I think you'd probably go. So they rush off, they find Jesus, and here's the interesting part. After seeing them, this is verse 17, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. And again in verse 20, when the shepherds returned, they glorified and praised God for the things they'd seen and heard. This is what happens when you meet Jesus for real. When he breaks into your life, you are transformed. These shepherds met Christ and after they did, they couldn't help but glorify and praise God. And they lived this transformed life where all of a sudden they're telling all the people around them about this message they'd received. And everyone was astonished at what they heard. And so here's my question to you today. Where are you today? What burden are you carrying? What have you brought with you? Have you perhaps come feeling dirty and stained? Have you come perhaps to hear a message of hope in the difficulty, in the dark night that you're in? Because here's the hope. Your life will be transformed if you give your dirt to Christ. If you confess your sins and give him your burdens, he will change you. If you accept him as the one who saves you from your sin, you will be transformed. 
When you truly meet Jesus, you will be changed. You will move from living in the dirt to glorifying and praising God. And so as we this Christmas reflect on this, the question we are asked is, who is the baby Jesus in the manger to you? Is he just the nice, nostalgic kind of baby that, you know, a nice tradition that you can come and visit a church service or open some presents or spend some time with family? It's just a marker of your calendar. Or will you see him as he really is? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who, despite his glory, was born in the dirt for you to clean us from our dirt. If you trust him, and you give him your life, you will be transformed. Let me pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you are in control of things, that you used even this decree from Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man at the time, to bring about the birth of Jesus, the son of David, in the city of David. Thank you that you are in control of the things in our lives, Lord, may it be that you have brought us here today to change us, to change us from within as we again come to worship you. We pray and thank you that you would be willing to step down into the dirt of our lives to meet us where we're at, in whatever darkness we find ourselves in, whatever difficulty we're in, that you are there with us, walking with us. We pray, Lord, that we would look to you to save us that you will change us from within, that you will move us from the darkness into the, the, the kingdom of light, and that once again today we can come and commit ourselves to living for you. Lord, transform us, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.